book of Corinthians, this little subsection we're calling Harmony, as you just saw from the video, this morning is actually part two of Paul addressing unity and diversity in the church or in the body in light of the operation of spiritual gifts. Last week, Kevin did part one, verses uh, one through 11, and this morning we'll do verses 12 through 31. Let me just start us off by reading verse 12 and then verse 27 to start painting this picture for us about the body of Christ. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, members of it. If we ever need to talk about a topic in American Christianity, it is this topic of the church and the body and what that means. And thank goodness, because look, everybody's got an opinion about it, but thank goodness we don't have to listen to theirs, nor do you have to listen to mine. We can listen to Paul's in chapter 12 here in 1 Corinthians. Mark Deaver, in his book, which I highly recommend, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, exposes the heart of many when he says this. Friend, and this quote's at the top of your notes. Friend, what are you looking for in a church? Good music? A happening atmosphere? A traditional order of service? How about a part, group of pardoned rebels whom God wants to use to display his glory before all the heavenly hosts because they tell the truth about him, about God, and look increasingly just like him, holy, loving, and united. If you wanted a big idea of chapters 12 through 14 in 1 Corinthians, that quote by Mark Deaver could be the big idea. But here's what I want to do this morning to start us off. I want, I want to pull back, if you would, at a wide angle, and we need to view Jesus' heart for the church. As we pull back, here's what we need to remember. Before the incarnation, we need to remember that Jesus was fully God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and all things were made through him. Before the beginning of human time and human existence, Christ was in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, fully equal with God, majestic, sovereign, and after participating fully, as the scripture tells us, in creation, he watched man rebel against the Creator. At that point, Christ willingly laid aside his place and role, we know. The scriptures tell us though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and born in that likeness of men. With a fully human life, the word became flesh, the scripture tells us, and dwelt among us, and then he lived this flawless, sinless life, completely flawless, sinless life, completely fulfilling all the righteousness that God had intended for us. And at around 33 years old, we know 
that he took that flawless life and voluntarily offered it as a sacrifice, as a substitute to all who would place their trust in him. And being found in human form, Philippians tells us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And on that cross, the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history took place. God the Father took his wrath towards sinners and sin, and he poured it onto the life and back of his son. And then he took the righteousness of his son and poured it into the back and life of sin and sinners. That great exchange has been what men and women have written about, talked about, sung about more than any other topic in the history of the world of all time. We call these that moment, those things, born again, saved, we receive life. We're put in a new family, given eternal life. No other topic has been mentioned even closely to that one life being the sacrifice for many. And yes, that is wonderful. It produces in us, and it should produce in us, it should affect in us this gratitude in us that affects us not only on Sunday, but it affects us day to day. But it does carry us from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday for the rest of our lives. The scripture tells us that act, that truth, until we see Christ face to face. It is earth shattering what he did. And, and, and most of the American church would agree with that. But that's where they stop. Because this is what Jesus himself would say. He would say, yes, I did all that. It is earth shattering, but wait a minute. That's not all. <laughs> that's not the end of what I accomplish and I want to accomplish. The essential purpose and work of what I did is to bring to fruition, to life, a gathering of people into a great body of people who have been ransomed, pardoned, and I will build my church, Matthew 16 says, Jesus says in Matthew 16, and the gates of hell will not prevail, that I will bring about this great multitude who will one day populate the new earth and are made up from people of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race, and they will be called the redeemed. They will be called the blood-bought people of the Lord Jesus himself. A chosen people that God chose for no reason, <laughs> but he was kind. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And in the meantime, Here's what the scripture teaches. I'm going to form a preliminary gathering of people, of local bodies of believers, and these bodies will be my glory and for my glory. Jesus tells us, I will love them, I will lead them, I will be their shepherd, I will be their head, and these formed local bodies will last until I return, and they literally will be spread all around the world. In the Bible, 
This is what we forget in modern Christianity. Jesus wants to make sure that these local gatherings of people called the church are a part of our vision of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Jesus says, you've got to get this right about the local church if you're going to get right what I accomplished on the cross. If you really want to love what I love, the scripture teaches, you must love and be passionate about the local gathering of believers that have been sprinkled literally worldwide called the church. Does that make sense? Like we stop way too short. So we ask the question this morning because that's what Paul does. What is the church? I've defined it for you. A body made up of members who have been joined together in Christ, by Christ, and with Christ as its head. So here's what we're going to do. As Paul continues sort of this profound lesson of the church, what you and I need to remember is we don't necessarily need to be educated about it, but we need to be evaluative. We need to evaluate how we are doing this thing called the church in light of what the scriptures teach us. And so what I want to do is take four statements, four highlights, and unpack that definition for us this morning for the church. Let's read 12 and 13 in verse 27. Verse 12 again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 27. Now you, and that's plural, Paul speaking directly to the church at Corinth, if he were here, he would be speaking directly to the church at Fellowship Bible Church in Murfreesboro. Now you, church, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the first thing Paul does, he tells us in those verses that this local gathering of believers, the church, is a body. Now, if you know your scriptures, you know intuitively, you've heard this somewhere, Paul loves this metaphor of the body. Now, you do know that the New Testament letters were all written to what? Local churches. And this is how Paul describes it with this imagery. This metaphor, if you were, to talk about the local church. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, Colossians 2, Colossians 3. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this word body is used eight times. That's how we know when we read our Bible, this is what's important in this text. When we read verse 12 at face value, we see this simple evident fact, and it is this. Though human bodies have many identifiable parts, ears, eyes, tongue, hair, well, some of us the body is not just a collection of those parts all together in one place. No, they have been formed together into something. And that something, Paul says here, is a body. Now, now here's what Paul's doing. He's illustrating something here. He is not in any way, form, or fashion giving or teaching an anatomy class. He is illustrating something, meaning there is something else that is like the human body. And at the end of verse 12, 
Look at that. He tells us what it is. So it is with Christ. Now, when you first read that, as I did, the expectation may be for you, like it was for me, that it would say, so it is with the church. And actually, that is what he's saying here. With Christ is shorthand or synonym for the body of Christ. Christ, in verse 12, at the end, is not the physical person of Christ, but the church. Again, he makes that clear in verse 27 when he uses the plural term of you to speak about the church. And then here's what he does in verse 13. He explains to us how this body came about. How did a body become a body? Paul tells us we were all baptized into one spirit. Now, in our middle Tennessee culture, where baptism, water baptism, has become a necessary part of salvation in some heretical doctrines, we need to understand this is not talking about water baptism. This is talking about the truth that the New Testament teaches throughout that when every person who places their trust in Christ comes to Christ, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes to indwell each believer. And that is the very thing that makes us believers. That is the very glue that joins us immediately at that point in time into the body of of Christ. It is what joins us to Christ. It unites us to Christ. And we need to understand this is common for all believers for all time. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. It is what makes you and I a part of the body or part of the church. This spirit baptism is what gives you and I the unity in the midst of the great diversity in the body of Christ. The one thing we all have in common, if we are a Christian, is the indwelling of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. That is our unity. That is our connection. In the midst of Paul is saying, <laughs> diversity. Diversity in gifts. Diversity in race. Diversity in likes and dislikes. Diversity in hobbies. Diversity in economic status. And all the diversity we bring in here, diversity of stories and backgrounds and ages and gender and all of that, Paul says, the thing that makes you connected is the Spirit of God indwelling in you at the point of salvation. I want to say to us, remind us, that it is this Spirit baptism is what supersedes all other identities that a person may try to embrace or embraces. It supersedes race. It supersedes political affections. affections. It, it supersedes everything. It is our new identity, and it is greater than any cultural identity that we may embrace. Those are always second to this one. So, Paul is saying as he speaks to them in verse 27, speaks to the you, to the plural, this local church in Corinth, he is saying to them, there should be a passionate commitment to the unity of the body that you're a part of, to value it, to honor it, to protect it, to enjoy it. 
And so he says the same with us at Fellowship Bible. So, Paul says, what is the church? The first thing, it is a body. The second thing, he says, is that the body has many members. Let's look at 14 through 27. It says, for the body does not consist, and we need to know this is really a long illustration here, long imagery. The theological statements come in verses 12 and 13, and then he goes into this long painting of an illustration here. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to that body, to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's not a pretty picture, right? There would be the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, or just one member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He continues, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. A little bit of a tongue twister there, but I think I did pretty good, especially for my gift of not being able to say things clearly sometimes. <laughs> In these verses... Paul keeps asking the question, big picture here, what would happen if all the parts of the body were one and the same? And the answer is, he gives over and over in a multitude of different ways, if that were the case, the body would not be a body. It would be a monster. <laughs> it would be a Frankenstein. It would be a blob. It would be a thing. But it wouldn't be a body. And we know one of the core things, we know this from our study of Corinthians, one of the core sins in Corinth was this disunity. So here's what's happening here. Here's why Paul is addressing this issue of the body and how it works best in its members, in its gifting. And that is there were those in the church who had made some of the gifts greater than others. And so they had this uppity attitude about themselves. I have the greater gifts. And then there were others in the church who naturally, if, as, as we do as humans, thought, well, I have gifts that don't matter. I have the lesser gifts, and my gifts aren't important, and I'm trying to earn or work my way so I can be up there with the uppity folks. 
So you have this one up, one down kind of thoughts about what it means to be a body. Everybody wanted to be the brain or the, or the eye or all those kind of things. And Paul is saying here that Christian unity does not come from uniformity, but comes from the different members using their unique gifts to contribute to the whole body. That every gift, every member counts. No matter what their gifts, that's one of the great things of the cross, is the cross puts us all on equal ground, from presidents to paupers. And Paul is saying here, even in the midst of how we relate with each other in a local church body, the cross does that there. There's no better and no worse gifts. And he tells us in that text that God is the one who distributes the gifts to his people to provide what the local church needs to be a healthy local church. So, the body, Paul is saying, is just not parts and pieces that happen to be in the same place on a Sunday morning. Yet it can be the case, we know, for some individuals that come and file into the same room in the same physical place, but we would say those individuals are not really members. They're not part of something. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're not really invested here, if this isn't a body that you're connected to that we're going to see in point three, we don't want you to leave. <laughs> we want you to come and be joined to us very practically and relationally here at Fellowship. Paul is actually is saying to the many members to stop thinking and acting as a rugged individualist and begin acting with a sense of corporate identity and responsibility to the whole body. Paul is saying when it comes to local church bodies, there is no long ranger Christian. There's no Rambo Christian. There's, there's no such thing in Paul's mind ever anywhere for a person week after week after week after month after month after year after year to walk in for an hour 15 minutes on Sunday morning, sit, get sung and preached to, walk out and never connect with the body. Paul's saying you're not really a part of something. You're, you're just an individual. You're not contributing to the body and you're not being contributed to by the body. Paul said, That's, that would be mind-blowing. If we, uh, Mr. Paul, if he was here, would it be okay he would just look at us and go, never has that been okay. But in American church, that has been okay. The church is a body with many members of that body, and each one is important to the body, to the healthy functioning of that body. Here's what Paul does. Notice back in verse 7. Just look with me if you have your Bibles open. If not, I'm sure you have the whole chapter memorized. Paul summarizes his statement back in verse 7. He says, each is given their gift. Each person in the body is given their gift for what? So they can pound their chest and say, look at my gift? No, for the common good of the body. There are members that contribute to the body. 
And Paul's addressing here all the possibilities and shades of self-focus that can take place in a church, yet he still glories in the fact that the body has different members, each with their own unique and needed God-given invaluable contribution to make that body. Folks, we will be a great local body the more we do that, not less. Amen? Okay. Thirdly, Unpacking our definition. Thirdly, those members are joined together. So here's what we would call it at Fellowship Bible Church. We would call it withward with the body. When we talk about a portrait of a connected life, connected life, we say upward with God, backward with our story, and withward with the body, inward with our gift and outward with the mission. So number three and number four in our circles, we go clockwise there. That's how we would put it. And here in these, this section, verses, or verse 25 and 26, we get to see the very practical outworkings in terms of relationships that since the members have been joined Together, by the Spirit of Christ, the gospel work on their behalf has become the focus of their connection. They now need to actually practice, Paul is saying, whatever what is already true of them spiritually. Paul is saying, you've been connected by the Spirit of Christ because God has put you together as a believer, and you're in the same physical place, but now I want you to work out what is true of you spiritually. To be joined purposely, to be involved purposely, to be engaged purposely, to be invested into each other's lives very purposely. So we ask the question, how does that happen? Here's what Paul does. He knows there's a multitude of ways, but he gives us two sort of representative examples in verses 25 and 26. Look at verse 25. Hey, we've read it, but let's read it again. And or that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, you see here there's no presumption that each part of the body is doing fine, and I'll sort of focus on me over here, and you can focus on you over there. So underline this verse in your Bible. It is so important to this body. Members have the same care for one another. So my mind is the same as what? The same as you would have for yourself or the same as you would want for yourself. The same as you would have for yourself, same care you would have for yourself or the same as you would want from yourself from other members of the body. And Paul's saying in order that everyone in the body would be cared for. That there is this active, if you would, awareness and active care for what's going on in the body. Now, obviously, as one person, or you being one person, we don't have the stamina or physical or emotional capabilities to care for everyone. But Paul's points to have this culture of care among the many members so all the members are being cared for. So, going back to his previous verses in the long illustration... It would be like while the hand is very busy being handy. See what I did there? The hand needs to have an awareness of how the foot is doing. 
And from time to time, he would hollow over to Mr. Foote and say, how are you doing? And most of the time, Mr. Foote would say, I'm doing fine, Mr. Han, how are you? Could be a miss, too, just so you know. Miss Han, Miss Foote, ever how you would like to say it. Those are our options, Mr. and Miss. But every once in a while, Mr. Foote would say, you know, I'm really sore. I have a cut on my soul, pun intended. And with his hand, Mr. Hand would stop what he's doing and go over and get the peroxide and the band-aids and would be handy with the foot. Paul is saying that's sort of the culture inside a local body that we have this active awareness that I'm not the only member in the room. There are other members and we're continually asking, how are you doing? So caring for one another. Secondly, the second example, verse 26 if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul is saying here, this, this second example of how we do body life is that we share in the burdens and the sorrows of others and we rejoice with others when they're doing well. The scripture gives us this, this phrase and the Old Testament says we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus himself is pleased when a group, a local body of believers do that well with each other. So where do these two experiences happen? Certainly they happen in our families and they happen within our friendships, do they not? But I want, you to, I want you to write that in your notes. I want you to circle the word or write the word easy. That, that's typically easy. Those in our families are easier. And those that we have a natural affinity with because of a friendship. But here and throughout the New Testament, God is calling us to be joined with other believers in our local church body. Meaning we walk in this room and we have nothing in common but the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel and that the spirit of God indwells us. He is calling us to care for and to share with those people at Fellowship Bible Church, first and foremost, primarily, not the only place, we call you to live in community, by being in a community group. It is the context and the environment where we can care for each other and share in the burdens of life, where we can have these purposeful, intentional, think through it, 18 weeks out of the 52 weeks of the year, 36 hours a year to engage each other in our lives and those 18 weeks or 36 hours actually turn into a springboard for deeper engagement and care and sharing throughout the year. It is an intentionality. Don't confuse friendship with relationship. Community group is not built around you finding your best friend or your BFF. I told, I had some folks here in my connecting group, we mentioned that last week. 
It may happen, and if it does, I rejoice with you. Like Paul says, it is the icing on the cake. The cake of our relationships. Paul is saying here, and in many places over and over and over, the main thing is the main thing is that the very spirit of the God of the universe indwells each of us. And that is the glue. That's why we get past ourselves and we care and share with those who we have nothing in common with but the Lord Jesus, because He is enough. Paul is saying here, all of us have a responsibility of seeing this vision and intentionally pursuing being joined to one another. Christ died so that that would happen. Christ did not die just so you and I could spend eternity with him in heaven. He died so that this, the local church, could come to life. And then lastly... Christ is the head of the body. Let's look at 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. All our apostles are uh, excuse me, question mark, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. So if we're the body of Christ, it means Christ is the head of this body. That's the point. Paul says it very plainly in Colossians 1. He's also head of the body of the church. And then in verse 28, Paul zooms in on who is it that, the, that gifts the different members of the body in order to serve the body. We mentioned this earlier. It says it is God who does it. So to protest or diminish your gift or to be arrogant about your gift as if your gift is the best is to protest and diminish God himself and to slap God in the face if you're arrogant. It just goes against the grain. It is God who gave you the gift so that you can serve the body in the only way you can serve it. And in verses 29 and 30, Paul asks seven rhetorical questions. And every one of those questions, the answer is no. No. Paul again is saying what we've been saying all along. If we all had the same gift, it wouldn't be a what? It wouldn't be a body. It'd be a monster. It'd be a thing. And then verse 31, which can be confusing. We need, we need to understand this about 31. It's not referring to the previous list of gifts. It's actually a transitional verse to chapter 13 here. And Paul is actually saying there, strive for the greater gifts or desire the gifts which will build up the church. These gifts will seek the common good of the church. That's how you'll know they're the greater gifts. There's a far better way to do it, Corinthians, than you've been doing it. And I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that excellent way, as we go into chapter 13, the love chapter, is that 
when you use your gifts, if it's not in the context of love, because love isn't an actual gift, Paul tells us, but it's not in the context of love, it's useless. And it doesn't, God can't use it to actually build up the body. So we're going to show that next week as we transition to that. Paul said, I'm going to show you a different way to do it. And yet, the most important thing about this body acting as the body is ultimately to bring glory to the head of the body, to the head of the church. Through his work on the cross, he made you and I a people for himself, and we are to reflect that to the world. Just write Revelation 5 down. That's what it's going to look like. Here's what I'm going to say very personally to us this morning. Many people leave the church and they say because their needs weren't being met. And when they do, the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is this, we don't know what their needs are. <laughs> they never told us. And look, I'm terrible at mind reading. I about messed my marriage up on a thousand different occasions trying to read the wife mind of my wife. I don't know. He has a man say, you got that too. Right? I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, really? You know what I'm thinking? You God? And then it goes sideways from there, right? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what your needs are. You left because you, your needs weren't met, but you've never been close enough to anybody to actually tell us what your needs are. How can we pray for you and care for you and share your burdens and share your joys and weep with you and love you and provide for you and rally people around you? We can't. Because we don't know. Paul's saying here, and that's why living in community is so important. Paul is saying here, that's how you do church. And to act as if we have no needs, it's just a plain out falsehood. We all have them. The question is not primarily, what is the church doing for me? Although, a fair question to ask would be this. Is the church, is my church providing the resources for me to grow into Christ's likeness and to experience biblical community? That's a fair question. And I think we are. We're not perfect. But here's what Paul is saying. The primary question is, what can I contribute to the church to participate in its fulfillment of the mission? Let me close with this. read an article this week. Actually, a lot of articles on this guy, Aaron Ralston. In 2003, he was 28 years old. He was in the remote wilderness of the Blue John Canyon in Utah. He was rock climbing, if you would, between these two walls about three or four feet apart, and he was 20 feet down in a large 800-pound boulder dislodged knocked him down, and then it's rolling downward, caught his right hand and smashed it against the wall. So now he's stuck. And for five days, he was there. No one could hear him. No one could see him. He sipped on water and a few little snacks he had, and he videoed himself till his battery ran out. He thought, I'm going to die right here. 
And then he, on the fifth morning, he got a brave idea. He used the torque to break his two bones in his wrist, and he took a dull pocket knife, and he cut through his arm. He cut his arm off. He climbed out. He walked eight miles to his truck with a tourniquet on his arm, and he ended up writing a book. He lived. He wrote a book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. <laughs> no truer title in all the world, right? You can Google this guy. Only in very dire circumstances would someone remove a limb or a member of their body. The Corinthians seem not to have seen it this way. In a spiritual sense, they were an arm cutting off the remainder of the body by thinking that only a few gifts were needed or esteemed in the body. And here's what Paul does here throughout the New Testament. He turns their value system on its head. He flips the script and he says, every member is gifted by God to play a unique role in the health of the body of Christ. Take a minute this morning to ask the question, so what? To really evaluate how are you doing in terms of being a part of this body? <laughs>